that your kid, Drew? That's the cat, man. Oh, the cat. I know that yeah, the cat or a kid. Oh, man, kid in one room, cat over here wreaking havoc in the other, man. <laughs> long as they ain't fighting each other, I guess. <laughs> True. True. <laughs> All right. Once again, it's on. We are running with war. And that is the best, some of the best basketball talk you will get online right here. War on YouTube live and uh, soon to be on War on Anchor. You'll get our podcast version of this coming up uh, tomorrow, should be. But uh, right now, we're doing it live uh, about, uh, you know, in the middle of the, the Thursday games here on, you know, TNT. If you're checking out those TNT games, you know, come rock with us for a little bit, you know, halftime up in Milwaukee now, L.A. in the Bucks. You know, come rock with us for a little while. And, uh, you know, we're going to talk about the latest that's going on in the NBA. Also sprinkles in a little college talk as well on uh, NCAA and, uh, you know, it, maybe in a little bit of a WNBA as well. I know Josh got a little something coming up on the WNBA uh, that he he want to talk about. So, yeah, we're going we gonna to hit quite a few bases on this one. As usual, I got my runners with me, man, my – my full-time runners, Josh and Drew, check them out with their new uh, tag, their new online tags. Much more. I mean, both of y'all. And well, Drew, yours not as. I guess yours is shorter, but you got the hat. You got the the lower. You know, the, the little the, underscores. I hate the underscores. underscores yeah, I hate so them. <laughs> and Josh got this more official thing. You know, he's trying to. He trying to do, I guess, make the brand a little more official. So I ain't mad at him. Mm-hmm. But uh, we also got our man Gabriel made a return run with us, man. Uh, you know, Chris isn't gonna be here this week, so we we glad to have a guest in uh in substitute and definitely uh our man Gabe is one of our best guests. So uh, you know, welcome him back and uh we gonna we gonna get go go do a little bit more. You know, we did uh, quite a bit last week, but we're going to go back into the Harden trade and everything because Gabriel, of course, has spent quite a quite a bit of time covering Houston and everything and covering Harden. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that later as well. But um, uh, uh, first, before I go into anything, uh, I want to shout out everyone who watched my interview with uh, Noah Eagle over the weekend. Uh, I interviewed him because – Primarily because he did the Bears uh, Nickelodeon broadcast on the the, the Bears Saints Nickelodeon broadcast, but it wind it wound up being running adjacent because he's the radio announcer for the Clippers, and of course his dad Ian is you know longtime announcer for the Nets, so it was a lot of good basketball talk that we went across in that interview. So if you haven't checked it out yet, uh, go look and. Uh, our our videos on uh, YouTube and uh, definitely check that out. I think y'all would enjoy that if you like what we do here. But um, we talk we talk about teams that are really buzzing right now, and you know teams that are listed in a lot of headlines. Those are about two of the best ones right now: the Nets and the Clippers. You know, along with the Lakers and such, of course. Uh, but uh, you know, definitely him and his him and his dad are pretty excited and. Uh, you know the chances, you know not 
though maybe a little slim, but them meeting in the finals, you know, could be a, a possibility. Clippers been playing pretty well, and of course the Nets are looking like, you know, even though we got, you know, let's start let's start on that game last night with the Nets and, and the Cavs. That was a pretty interesting game. How, how much how much of that did y'all catch last night? I caught all of. I had I had it on lead pass. It was it was a hell of a game from start to finish. Yeah, I mean, what did you think, man? You know, Sexton really—that has to be his his signature game so far of his career. You know, we get the two overtimes, and I watched the, uh, a lot of the replay. They played replayed on NBA TV this afternoon, but it was yeah, like you said, Gabe, it was a hell of a game, man. What? But uh, what do you think? Is it's the first game, of course, that we see the entire big three with the Nets. So, you know, I think, you know, the haters probably – there's probably some haters out there who's like, oh, here we go. They're giving up 140 points. You know, he got all three of them on the court. But, you know, what, what were your thoughts? You know, you say you saw the whole game. What were your thoughts on it? My thoughts on it was you had three superstars out there who, you know, through various spurts showed their ability, you know, is the reason why they some of the top three isolation scores in the game. Uh, I thought Kyrie had a hell of a performance. However, they also show their inefficiencies and weaknesses as well. You know, you got two out of three guys, particularly Kyrie and Harden, who are going to be put on the spot more than ever before, having to be out there by themselves on an island to defend, you know, one-on-one situations without the presence of a big being there. Um, You could tell that the loss of Derrick Allen, although – you understand why you have to make the trade for James Harden. You know, that's going to be a huge hole for them to fill uh, in the interior. And even though they got three roster spots currently open, at some point they're going to have to seek to get a center. Um, I thought there were moments where they were defensively pretty well throughout, like, the latter part of the fourth quarter and early portions of overtime. When Colin Sexton is able to get, you know, to any spot he wants on the floor, you know, it, it only makes you wonder defensively how can this team hold up come playoff time. I think offensively they have all the pieces in place to where they should have a ticket to the finals punch. You know, if they come out each and every night, they're 130 points, you know, damn near every night. But at the same time, if they really want to get over the hump and get that gold ball, they're going to have to get enough stops down the end and lay games if they want to get that. Yeah, possessions are going to be much more critical in the playoffs. I mean, they can't they can't take off as as much as they are going to be able to take off during a lot of these regular season games going forward. They're going to have to lock down, and they're going to have they're going to, have to have somebody who can regularly protect that rim. So, yeah, I, I definitely yeah. Uh, definitely see what you said there, Gabe. Drew, Josh, y'all got any uh, thoughts on that game and, and the fallout? Yeah, I mean, it's the first game of the big three. So I, you can't expect super high results or high expectations, at least for comp- basic off a of first game. I was watching, you know, and listening to all these people today talking about how, oh, since Kyrie didn't came back, they didn't lost the game. This is proof they got to get, get rid of Kyrie and all this other stuff. Like, people, slow your roll. Slow down. <laughs> take a chill pill. Relax. Just one game, baby. Just one game. They got, we still got a whole other 70-some games to go. And on top of that, if anything, this is a lesson for the Nets because this the game not only showed that, you know, down the stretch, who the ball really should be going to, which we know should be Kevin Durant, 
but the last final two possessions of those overtimes, it, the ball was in Kyrie Irving and James Harden's hands. We know at the end of the day that should be in Kevin Durant's hands. So that's number one. Number two is the fact that they're going to go through growing pains not just because of the big three. It's a whole new coaching staff with a rookie coach. Like We have to remember that Steve Nash is in his first year coaching. This is probably one of the first games where down the stretch he literally had to find plays and defensive schemes to slow down a team that, quite frankly, they might have took for granted because the Cavs was the worst offensive team in the league right now. So to have that type of game, they thought for them to have this type of game, if anything, it's just a lesson um, just for them to learn and grow from. They, it's the first time in the big three. You got a rookie head coach who, you know, Steve Nash is he, he, to let and the, and the skill set's a coach, but he's, he doesn't know what it's like to be in these type of predicaments like that, especially since he came from a Golden State Warriors team who's used to blowing teams out by like 25 plus. So you got to you got to learn at some point. That's all this is. It's just a it's just a teaching lesson. So everybody, just kick back, relax, take your drinks, and just chill. Just relax. It's only first game. We'll see what we'll see if that what comes down when it comes to the playoffs. Just 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 relax a little bit. Right. And yeah. plus, you you mentioned Cleveland having their issues, but you know Sexton isn't one of them right now. They got they got the backcourt, the sex land. Oh yeah, uh, sex land is killing. Sex yeah, land so. is killing. They, the sex land got the wet got the wet jumpers out there, so you know let, let's uh you, you can't uh you can't <laughs> ignore them. They locked up too. The Knicks had a the Knicks had a serious problem with their two three zone last night. Yeah, I, yeah, I, they they got they still got to get used to to playing with each other, but you know and I think I, that as I say that after sex land as well, I gotta yeah. get I gotta get that in my head. Drew. So, uh, going going off of that mentioning that uh, Gabe about them having trouble with the two three zone, who was who was flashing to the to the high post for them? Was it DJ? Was it Durant? You remember? It was a couple times I saw Kyrie flash up to like the top of the key, get some fadeaway jump shots and easy looks. You know, they they had moments where they were breaking it, but I, I mm-hmm. felt like you you really had Durant and Harden trying to get adjusted to playing with Kyrie. And getting the feel for his game. But there were moments I felt like where Durant was passing, and also moments where I felt like James was passing. Like, if I'm not mistaken, he only took two shots um, in the first half of that game mm-hmm. and only scored two points. You know, he didn't, he was really being more of a facilitator. But I think in order for this experiment to work, one thing that did stand out to me was that you had Kyrie on the ball a lot. I think in order for the experiment with this trio to work, you're going to have to see Harden. One and a one, and Kyrie being more willing to play off of the ball at the two spot, which you know he showed in various instances last night that he can knock down catches, shoot triples, and Durant, who's more than willing to play off the ball, either at the four or the five, because there's gonna be some times and nights where he's gonna have to play the five with them until they get you know someone off that buyout market, either Javale McGee who may be available down the road or Hassan Whiteside if not a Dwayne Deadman who's on the couch right now. And I think a lot of teams personally, such as Brooklyn, really should be called. Yeah, I totally agree with that to, to go along with what you guys said. It's, it's first game, man. Like, it's a lot of things that got to get figured out in terms of that 2-3 zone. I like to see, like you said, James with the ball in his hand and let uh, KD flash up to the to the high post because that's the key to beating that zone. You get that ball to the middle and let him be able to uh, make decisions based off that. And who better on that team to do that than him? Yeah. As far as figuring things out, you know, 
there's a lot of situational things that are going to be needed to figure out, you know, in, in, during matchups and, you know, clutch situations and stuff. But in a, in a more general sense, do you guys think that there's going to be, there's going to need to be like a delineation of who's one and who's two and who's three? Or do you think they can all, you know, co coexist with that being sort of a, you know, sort of switching or sort of a, be a nebulous theme where they're they're all number ones and in their minds they're all number ones, you know. But can they exist that way, or do would it have to be some sort of line set? Because a lot of people like to go back to the formation formation of the the Miami Big Three, and a lot is said about how you know Wade eventually sort of backed down for LeBron, and LeBron was sort of known became known as the guy down there while Bosch, you know, let him, he, he had less ego involved and he was, he allowed himself to, to be essentially the number three, you know, was some sort of reckoning like that have to happen in New Jersey for them to, Brooklyn, for them to, you know, be at their best? Or do you think it's not necessary? So I, I don't think it's necessary because these guys are intelligent, man. Um, and going back to Harden and KD, they play with they have experience playing with each other. The variable being Kyrie, I think if anything, it's going to happen organically. You know, just by the results and how their flows and different games are going. Um, and that's a hell of a uh, hell of a thing to be able to fall back on, where you have three guys that at any point, you know, they can go off. Uh, you can't double them. They'll never be able to. You, you can't double those guys. Not just because of those three, but because you got you got Joe Harris who's a knockdown shooter. Um, so I just think it's going to happen organically. It might be different guys, different nights, depending on who's got it going and uh, the matchups especially. And if you got Durant playing the five, nobody can guard Durant anyway. But what five is going to be guarding him? And if they're playing Milwaukee, <laughs> how, how often did, did Giannis guard him? You know, that, that kind of rubs me the wrong way, kind of getting off topic a little bit, but – Giannis, man, if you're going to be the two-time MVP or a two-time defensive player of the year, you got to guard the main guy, especially at your position. Um, I know that some of that falls on Coach Boyd, but I'm, I'm getting off topic, though. <laughs> what you no, guys? I stood out when they played the other night. I watched that game, too, when they played Milwaukee. There were a lot of times on switches when Middleton was guarding him and he came up, he would drop back in the coverage in the paint. And it was yeah. and he was picking Middleton apart. And it's like, at some point, you got to come out there. Yeah, and Middleton's not even Middleton is not a bad defender by any means, but who's your best defender on your team? Right. <laughs> I look at it like this: Godzilla, King of Monsters. Right. I don't know if y'all into that stuff. Right. I am. That's my movie. Right. I, I mess with it. Godzilla was that dude. Right. But the <laughs> overall concept was the fact that there was multiple kings, you know, that came for the throne. But at the end of the day, the one true king. And Godzilla overtook it all, right? Brooklyn got three kings. Three, you got KD, you got James Harden. But at the end of the day, they know who the real king is. That's Kevin M.F. Durant. So therefore, Durant going to get that ball. Durant is going to be the guy, the go-to guy down the stretch. Once they, really, once they finally get it in their brains that that's going to happen, the team will, the team will thrive. And, it's, and it's, honestly, that's more of Kyrie than anything. Because Kyrie, even though he's used to playing that two guy, he always has to have the ball in his hands. James Harden has the history of being a third option in a, in a thriving offense. 
back to his OKC days and the fact that he was able to do that with Kevin Durant at that time. So because of that experience, he has no – I'm pretty sure Harden wouldn't have a problem adjusting his game to the point where when he gets it, he knows what he can be efficient in doing what he's supposed to do. The real question is how is Kyrie going to react as whether he plays on the ball or not, as ideally at times, especially the stretch, a number three guy. How is he going to handle that? And that's the, that's the biggest thing. I think it's not going to be an issue because at, at the end of the day, they know Kevin Durant is the Godzilla of this thing. He's going to win this thing. He's the guy. But, the end of the, but, but, but as far as how is it going to thrive and mesh together, that's just something we're going to have to see over time. But, but when it comes down to the nitty-gritty, the ball going to be in KD's hands. No so you, got KD, you got KD as, as, as Godzilla. I was going to say he's, he's got Mothra's reach, though. That's what I was thinking. He of, does. You know. He does. <laughs> <laughs> and and I get I guess uh you know hard and he's like what what's the little buggy one that I, <laughs> the the little bug one I forgot I forgot what that name was. I guess that would be Harden, but yeah, that's 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 a he good conversation. Necessary. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also like the concept of MF Durant as opposed to you know as a salute to MF Doom maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody got to knock him in the face and put a mask on him. I like that better than Durantula, man. I never was a fan of that one, man. I like the no, no, I like no. that one. Or the or the or the weight or the weight of the server or whatever. Yeah. The Slim Reaper, wow. he's had so many nicknames. The Slim Reaper, I would have if he could have yeah. kept with that, I would have gone with that. But he you know, he didn't like that, I guess. So but um <laughs> but yeah, we we talk about uh, like L.A. looking like right now they're pulling away from Milwaukee, and um, you know, Drew, you got into a little bit of a rant. You 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 were starting to get into a little bit of a rant with Milwaukee there, but do, do you think that's their main issue right now? Is that they're they're a team that does have the two time defensive uh, player of the year, but they don't seem to have much of a perimeter. Uh, lockdown. They don't really have a perimeter lockdown guy, and they struggle. They're struggling to stop top teams. Still, it's like you know, and, and they struggle. Like I said, they struggle to stop top teams. And when it see, it seems like when they face top teams, there's always some issue that they can't abide by or can't uh, account for when it comes to you know stopping teams like that. You know, what, what, what's your thoughts on that? So I'm going to give the caveat of every every team is still kind of figuring things out. Uh, Milwaukee, big fish addition is, is uh, Drew Holiday, who is a, a very, very good defender, uh, very heady defender. So I think they're just, they're just trying to figure it out. The main thing I just want to see is I want Coach Bud to put his best defender on the other team's best player. Like, I just don't understand, man. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand what, what's missing with that. Um, you know, you well, in this case, in this case tonight, mm-hmm. you'd have him playing LeBron. LeBron had he had at least seventeen. That's on the first half, mm-hmm. and they said that. Uh, I I saw you know when I had the sound up, they had you know LeBron was essentially playing all his minutes when Giannis was on the floor. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is is that the type of thing you have to look at that if you're the Bucks and be like, man, you know. LA is restricting LeBron's minutes. They're not playing that he's playing as few minutes in this as he's played at any time in his career. 
but he's relishing the minutes that he's getting with with Jonas uh, out there. Mm-hmm. That's not a good sign. No, it's not. It's not. Um, they got to figure some things out, man. Maybe Coach Bud feels more comfortable with Middleton on, on the main guy and kind of Giannis playing off of that and just helping out in different situations. But it just was seen to me that, again, you're going to put your best defender on the guy that the other team is trying to get that ball to. He's long, super athletic. He's strong. I don't see any reason. Unless there's foul trouble, you know, um, in future games. That's the only reason I would see not putting him on that guy. Hey, but hey, that's Gabe, the thing about Coach like, I got a lot of issues yeah, like with Milwaukee. Uh, uh, Josh, go yeah. ahead, then Gabe. <laughs> yeah, Gabe gonna go in. So Josh, you go first though. But I was I was gonna say based off the Drew point, Drew's point, that's the problem with Coach Budenholzer. Like that was one of his critiques of his coaching, his coaching is his lack of adjustment. And that's what bit him always in the playoffs. That's why he never gone far in the playoffs, it's because of that. Um, I think Budenholz is just a regular season coach that over time he figures things out to get through the season. But when he comes to the playoffs, he ain't taking you much further. You got to do that yourself. And that's always been the knock on, you know, on his coaching ability. So having that translate with already the defensive issues that the Bucs have and the fact that when the games are tight, he still ain't got a closer. They don't have anyone that can go to down the stretch to shoot the ball and get you a bucket to keep the team afloat. That's the biggest thing. You sold your whole farm on Drew Holiday, which is a hell of a player, but he ain't a closer. He's not someone that's supposed to get you buckets uh, down the stretch in the final two or three minutes of the game. So, and and Chris Middleton ain't your guy. He's not that guy for that. They so, got a number two or two number threes. Right. They got two number threes, but yeah. no number twos. How do, you, how do you fill that void? Especially since Giannis, as a number one option, does not want to be in that final moments. That's not part of his game. So, if if you don't have a closer or someone you can go to down the stretch, these tight games you're gonna be you're gonna be struggling to get through, and you just gotta hope that these role players and your third options or even Giannis take is willing to t- hope he's t- willing to take that next step to get you over the hump. Because right now that ain't gonna cut it when you got Bro- when you got three people on one team in Brooklyn that can do that easily. Mm-hmm. Gabe, you said you said the Nets got got their tickets punched already. So, and you say you got a lot of issues with with uh, Milwaukee. So, so go ahead, go <laughs> go in. For one, when I look at Milwaukee's identity as a team, I, I have a lot of questions. You know, when they first came onto the scene, they were known as a top five, you know, defensive team, a team that mm-hmm. was going to get a get but you know forty eight minutes every single night with Malcolm Brogdon there and 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 Eric Bledsoe and Giannis, you know, leading the show with Brooke. You know, like they, their game was to bait you into taking threes and seeing whether or not, you know, you can beat them from beyond the arc. They took away the paint. Well, yeah. when a team is on, you know, what do you do? Such as with my how Miami was when they played them in the semifinals last year down the boat. What do you do? A- another issue I have with the team is like, you know, I, I understand Josh's point in regards to, you know, Coach Bud in a regular season coach. But one thing I, I will give Bud credit for, he's he's been there and done that in championship rounds, albeit as an assistant under Pop in San Antonio. I just wondered, like you said, do they have the horses to really go through down the stretch when you have a guy like Giannis who loves to run up and down the court and he definitely sets and dictates the tempo for the team and the way they play offensively. But when you get into the playoffs and you everything is 
operated and based around a half court, you need a guy that's a bucket getter. And I don't see it. And when I and when I when when I view this team right now and I, and I look at the roster construction, I'm saying to myself, man, if it's a way that the Bucks could somehow find a way to get a vet like Lou Williams there, alongside of a Chris Middleton, who has shown a growth and development in isolation situations, being able to get his off the dribble, you get another closer in there besides Giannis, I think they may have a puncher's chance but I still don't think it's enough. And when I look at Giannis's game, just in general, you know, yes, he's made some improvements, shooting a three ball here and there, but it's becoming clearly obvious to me that at this stage in his career, in order for him to be his best self and to become a championship caliber player, he's going to have to develop a post-up game. Because yeah, shooters yeah. don't get better at this age. You know, like, you, you learn how to shoot a ball when you're, like, 12, 13 years old. It's like it's only so much room for growth and development at this stage. You don't want two MVPs without it. So that shows that you're a hell of an athlete. But you have to figure out a way to get in your most efficient positions as much as possible. Somewhat like what we're seeing with Zion Williamson in New Orleans right now. Shot selection is going to be key. The messed up thing is, I think the one of the biggest losers, if not the biggest loser from the the Harden deal, was probably Milwaukee. This man just started just signed an extension, and then Harden comes and plays with Durant and Kyrie. It's like, man, the East just got that much tougher to get through. You know, um, you still got to deal with with Boston, who I think, if anybody, could probably give the Nets more gold than anybody else in the Eastern Conference. Um, but just taking it back to Milwaukee, I, I just I feel like they may have missed their opportunity. Not necessarily all due to them because they had, you know, like everybody else, they had to go through the pandemic last year. They were the team to kick off the um, Jacob Blake, um, you know, uh, not forfeiture. Yeah. But just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so there's a lot, a lot of things going on last year. And now their window is looking real, real small, man. Looking real small with that group over there in, in Brooklyn. Yeah, the tough thing too is that you can't necessarily say that like the Nets are gonna be a one and done team. Like the Nets could last as they are for a few years with those guys. So like over the course of this extension that that uh Giannis has. So, you know, I wouldn't shut down the window yet on them, but like you say, Drew, it's it's got a lot tougher. And, yeah, the Nets, uh, I, want, I want, want to say that that trio uh, got two more years left on each one of their deals with an option. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And like, like who knows? Who knows how Giannis will feel in two years himself, looking at the at the uh, the environment around him, or you know, it, it's it's gonna be tough, man. It's it's, it's they got they got to figure out what they got to do, man, and. It probably it probably does come down to <laughs> like y'all like y'all say getting a real number two or or number one, you know, uh, possibly a one a, a at least that can that can match up with that with Giannis and do the things that he do some things that he can't. But I, I like I'm really intrigued by what you said, Gabriel, about him having, you know, it, I, I wonder if he will show the wherewithal before he gets. There may come a point where his knees are going to tell him, I need to develop 
a back-to-the-basket uh, game anyway. But I wonder if before that, if he will have the, the knowledge to say, yeah, maybe I should make my game a little e- – make things a little easier on myself and develop that back-to-the-basket game, get a little – maybe a little jump hook thing going or something, or at least do something where defenses can collapse on me and I can maybe distribute to any number of shooters who may be on my team out there, DiVincenzo or, or uh, you know, Holiday or whoever – can you know exist on the three point line and maybe make things a little easier on on them and give them some more open shots instead of just you know being at the top of the key and you know being like a gazelle trying to try to work off the dribble and get and get to a spot you know beneath the free throw line and you know doing all that work you know it, it's a lot more Everything work than is it all would about be. yeah it's all about yeah. pushing the pace with him. And, 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 and these teams, they get smart. You know, that, that's why you got video scouts and, and guys, you know, recording your every move every night you play in the league. It's like they know now you're driving, we're building a wall. And we're going to force you to give up the rock. So at this point in time, the way that you were getting the majority of your buckets, you was getting at least 14 out of your 28 points, you know, just pushing the ball off a rebound and just slamming it on guys. That's not going to be happening as much now. So what's your adjustment? Then, too, you know, one one thing that I think is, is overlooked with him a lot, everybody always talks about the three-point shot or the lack thereof. It's like you shoot one for ten from the line again. Mm. You know, and, and as much as he gets to the line, when you're a gifted scorer, you're getting to the line at least eight to ten times a night. You have to find a way to improve that as well. He's he, he's in his, what, like eighth or ninth season in the league? It, at this point and stage of his career, he has to do some serious soul searching because it's like you're you committed to staying in Milwaukee. Five-year deal. You want to win your title in Milwaukee. They putting yeah. all these pieces around you as the lead dog and guy. And while you may need – a a guy that's a, a walking bucket getter alongside of you, you have to play your part too to try and figure out a way as to how you can become the most dominant player in the league, bar none without question. Because people pay attention and they and they look at this. You know, you 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 start leading your team the best records in the regular season back to back years, and you don't come up with the gold ball. Man, the media is all over. You. Man, that's that's well said, man. I. And you know, like I said a little bit earlier, like a lot is going to be a lot of pressures on Milwaukee to provide the sort of environment that could allow Giannis to win. But we can't overlook Giannis's role in this whole thing too. Like you said, he has to raise his game. Still, his he's not a finished product. He's got to raise his game to the point where you know he, whatever he needs around him. Whether he needs a little bit or a lot more, he's he's still got to give more of himself to be able to be known as a championship guy. At some point, he has to break through a wall, and he has to force he has to force things onto his opponents, whoever whoever that opponent is going to be, and uh, you know show himself as a true champion. So it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see if that development happens, if that evolution happens in this game, and uh, you know whether. 
it leads to a, a sing or any type of championship breakthrough in Milwaukee, or if it leads to a uh, a dramatic breakup. You know, we, we that's it's going to be one or the other. Apparently, that's that's the situation. <laughs> I see what Josh is looking looking Man, uh, betting. Uh, yeah, I'm I, I, he, he out of there. He 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 was just collecting his bread. And, you know, at the same time, I mean, I've, I've heard from the reports from people that covered him that he really does like Milwaukee. Milwaukee fits his style and things of that sort. So he really does like the city and he loves the fans. But at the same time, like Gabe, like, uh, like Gabe mentioned, you know, if you, you, you are the number one guy on this team with the biggest contract in league history. There's going to be a lot of responsibility for you to develop your game. If I'm him, I'm calling Akeem Olajuwon, get that footwork. Get that presence together. I'm calling mm-hmm. Akeem Olajuwon to get that low post presence as well as still that, that versatility against other big guys. I'm calling three-point shooters like Kyle Korver, whom, whom you play with, Ray Allen, whomever can help you develop your game on the outside from a shooting perspective as well as give you the post-game presence that, you, that you're lacking of right now but can really easily develop. If you do your part and Milwaukee somehow fixes theirs because – that was one of my biggest critiques of the Drew Holiday trade. I know they had to do what they can to get players, but you sold your whole farm. If you waited, you could have got someone like a Chris Paul coming to your, to your team. If you waited, you could have got somebody like a James Harden coming to your team to pair with them. But you, went, but you jumped the gun and got Drew Holiday and sold the whole farm, which to respect, I understand the situation, and you know that type of move was necessary. But they, the, just like Giannis got to develop, Front office got to be smart too, and trying to figure out how to get other superstars to come to Milwaukee because they're not coming willingly. So well, they were pressured. Yeah, they yeah. they were pressured by that early December deadline that he had with the yeah. you know with the re up. So yeah, and I, 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 I agree with you. Yeah. What you say, Drew? No, I was saying they 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 didn't have that luxury necessarily because they had to show him that look, man, we trying to do something to develop right. something really good here. So they had to kind of these short term moves. Had to had to be made. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That was that was the case. Bradley Bill over there. Maybe it. it that's, look the at, that, that's the guy that they may look back and say a couple months from now when he does get traded. Like man, really let him walk away and by giving away a war chest of picks, and we could have yeah. probably had not only just Drew, but we could have had this guy with us. Who's a bona fide yeah. all-star school? Definitely, definitely. And when you look, you look at what's going on in Washington because I'm I want to go into some standings watching uh, for a second here. You know, I was I was looking at at, at the standings earlier, sort of setting up the the, the bull section of this of the show. But uh, when you look at the East, you know that's the bottom of the East there, Washington, and um, so they they're likely going to be sellers. And and that's their big piece, the bill there. So he could be a guy who can definitely change something, change, make a big change in the league for for some team, make a contending team into an ultra contender, or or you know a middle middle ranked team into a more of a contender. You know we'll see how that goes. When you look at you look at those, like I said, they're at the bottom. That Washington team, three and three and eight, Pistons three and eleven. They're they're lottery watching but it's like the rest of the east is pretty competitive overall like there's a big there's a, like a two game uh difference between the team right above them who is uh the raptors interestingly enough five and nine 
and those Cavaliers that we mentioned earlier, seven and seven, they're tied with the Hawks, but I guess they got a little bit of advantage, so they're in the sixth spot right now. But you got you got a little bit of a gulf between that the rest of that conference, that bulk of the conference, and those top five teams, starting with the Nets, uh, who are nine and seven. And uh, above them, you got the Pacers at eight and six at four, Celtics eight and five at three, the nine and five Bucks are at two, and number one uh, right now, 76 is 10 and five, number one in the East. I meant I get I, I picked up the sixes a little bit last week, and Josh gave me some funny looks. But uh, you know, the, the sixes, man, you know, they they beat the Celtics yesterday, and the Celtics. You know, they was doing a little humbugging about Embiid, you know, getting to the line a lot. But I think that's the type of thing. If you're a, a big man like Embiid, you need to be getting yourself to the line and can and contributing points through through the free throw. That that should be a good deal. A good deal of your points should be coming from the line, from getting to the line and getting and and, and you know making those contributions. And I just think you no, know, I just think he's playing at another level this year. More consistently, and we're not hearing about him being off the, you know, having to take games off and being on injured reserve or whatever. You know, he's he's coming through, and I think that's making a difference for those sixes. I don't know if they're going to remain the number one seed or a top three seed, but they're definitely a top four team in the East, and they're gonna. I think they're going to be uh, pretty competitive going forward. But I don't know what what do you guys think of that whole top? tier of the East right now, you know, looking at those top five teams. When I look at, when I look at the East right now and and the top four teams, I think it's Brooklyn. I think it's Boston. I think it's Philly. And I I, I say that fourth spot is, is, is up for grabs right now. You know, you got a lot of teams that can be competing and fighting for that over the last few years, I would say. I think Philly has, gotten off to a high start, you know, in large part, not only due to the play of Embiid, but when I look at their schedule just personally, like they haven't really played, and I understand you're going to play who's in front of you, but they haven't really played the elite of the elite yet. And I think that's that's the big question mark with them. Like I want to see how they look when they play Brooklyn. I want to see how they look when they play Boston, you know, tomorrow night. On ESPN, cause like when I when I look at Boston, those young guys are growing over there. You know, like Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown's have, having an All Star season himself. You know, granted Embiid is having a, a MVP candidacy, but I want to know if he can do that when it's the most important time of the year and you get closer to playoff time. Consistent. I want to sure. see, you know, if those guys that they could trust and they brought in there, Amoy is brought in there to sh- make big time shots such as Danny Green and others will do so like they have in playoffs past. And Seth Curry, because Ben, I know he's going to be Ben, he's going to play his out, but in a half court system, if he's not willing to take threes and he's going to be passive, kind of becomes a, a, a non-fact in the gameplay. He plays right to the defense's hands. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, look, uh, I'm, I'm uh, just looking at the schedule right <laughs> quick. Looking at that, that numbers breakdown real quick. And this, 
this is, is this two things that jump out at me. Uh, they are eight and one at home, so they're taking care of, they're taking care of business at home, which you know you figure any good team would. But they're also all of their wins, all ten of their wins will come against the East. They're ten and three against the East, so you can say that that is a good thing that they play well against their own conference. But like like Gabe said, they may have most likely been eating on the lower half of the conference. But they haven't played anybody in the West yet. They haven't. It looks like they haven't traveled. They haven't traveled West yet. So yeah, that that schedule definitely is going to take a turn uh, coming up. So yeah, there's there's going to be more for them to prove. But they've gotten off to the type of start you would think that they would need, given the the baggage that they carried into the season and them, you know, working, you know, Doc Rivers working himself into, uh, you know, that new job and everything, you know. Like I said, they've they've had the type of start that they need, but they got more to prove, and, and that's yeah, you, you can see that. And they always play well at home because last year, if I'm not mistaken, they only lost two games at home, and they had an okay. atrocious road record before it was time to go to the bubble. Like Philadelphia, okay. I don't know what it is, but they've always been a team when they're in the Wells Fargo Center, they one of the top teams in the league, like that. That's even when fans were in the field, but when they're on the road. They they struggle mightily. Yeah, they got good a good home court event. They got an energetic. Well, it, that doesn't matter this year, but right. when it's normal, they have a good crowd there. But you know, I got yeah, it's like playing at the crib. That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah, and I think I think another key uh, person, if you want to talk about the the growth and the progression of the 76ers, you got to talk about Tobias Harris. Tobias Harris went MIA in that bubble. He went MIA in that bubble as the guy, as one of the go-to guys to help get this team over the hump. And you really have to rely on him now because, like Gabriel said, if you're talking about a half-court setting, Ben Simmons already doesn't shoot. So if yeah. he's not going to shoot the ball, you're going to have to rely on Tobias Harris to be that go-to scorer. So he has to, be, he has to come through in big, in big moments, what he has to suspect to do. And I think this year can change because, you know, Doc Rivers – was the one coach that actually helped him excel the game and get him the max contract that he got when he before he left and was traded uh, from from the Clippers. But Doc, Doc Rivers got a lot to got has a lot of different things to work with in order in order to get this team over the hump, including the fact that he has blown two three one leads. Like we can't forget that he was the coach of multiple three one blowouts, so he has to make adjustments too, just like the players do. So putting that all together. That's gonna be that's gonna big thing. That's gonna be a big a big hurdle that the team as a whole has to get over. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't put a whole lot of. I know they're ten and ten and five, and Embiid is going crazy. But I just I don't put a lot of stock in their um, in them advancing very far uh, into the playoffs just because of what everybody's talked about. Just the limitations of Ben Simmons um, for all his struggles. At least Giannis will somewhat keep the defense honest, and he'll take a three. He'll take multiple threes a game, whereas Ben Simmons doesn't even look to shoot um, outside the paint, seemingly. So <laughs> I, I just – and B can't do it by himself. Uh, we'll see, like you said, Josh, if Tobias Harris steps up. Um, Gabe, how you said about uh, Seth Curry and Danny Green, if they can if they can make some big shots, see the development of Shake Milton, how that all shakes out, no pun intended. Um, I'm actually kind of interested to see if Indiana – once Karis LeVert uh, comes back, because I think he they found a, a growth on his. Yeah. If, has I, there been any? Yeah, has there been any more news on that? If y'all y'all heard anything? 
I haven't no, seen no, it, but I haven't been looking for it. He's gonna be out for they. They say he could be out for a couple of months, so that doesn't seem like wow. you know he's just gonna be able to just bounce back right away. But that that's a major yeah. blow to Indiana. And I was very excited to see him in Indiana with the ball in his hands, knowing how he likes to have those touches. Yeah, that's tough. Yeah. He, he's had a couple of tough breaks already in his his NBA career, so hopefully he can bounce back from that. Gabe, I, I know you're real connected with uh with the Rockets. Speaking of Levert, all things being equal, not knowing what we know now, do you think they were right to go after Oladipo and that contract um, and the picks that they got, or would you have preferred them to keep Levert, to hold on to Levert, the younger player who may not be as quite the all-around player that Oladipo has proven to be, um, but is younger, you know, can still score? I think the reason why Ralph took the deal for Oladipo as opposed to just taking Levert straight up was due to the fact that for one, Oladipo is on the final year of his contract. And, you know, they wanted the flexibility to have those draft picks. And they got four first rounders. They got four pick swaps, all unprotected. You know, and, and that was really the big win for them in that trade. You get a guy like Oladipo there, you know, you you see how it works out. Like, they don't really have an incentive to tank because the only way they keep their first-round pick that they traded away in the pick swap for in the Westbrook deal, the only way they keep that is if, it, if it's a top-four pick in the draft lot. So it's top-four protected. So they really have no incentive to really be tanking. But, you know, they got a lot of guys in and out the lineup right now, you know, due to injury and, and so forth like that. And the thing, you know, when you lose a top five player, that's not as good as it, as it once was. Like, if they get to a point where they're in the bottom half of the West, they can seek to trade Oladipo like the first of March. Easily. And get even more draft capital back on top of young players as opposed to had they had Levert, they would have had him on the books for a couple of years at around, I want to say, 15 to 16 million. And while I do think Levert is a, you know, a good player his health record even prior to the, you know, mass showing up on his kidney and the physical, you know, to get the heart trade completed, you know, like yeah. he already had question marks, you know, coming in as to whether or not he could stay healthy. So I think what Ralph did was take the long-term picture to say, hey, let's take the all-star, a guy that, you know, we know could come in here right away and at least be a combo guard for us while Don Wall, you know, battling through his left knee issue next week, you know, and, and see how it works, and, and this pairing works together, and if it does, you know, see whether or not we want to sign him long-term, or, you know, if we look where we're at, at the first of March, and see that we're not a playoff team, you know, we can seek to trade him to Miami or any other suitor alongside of P.J. Tucker and potentially Eric Gordon to start this full-on rebound. But they're they're four and nine right now. The only team worse than the West is is the Timberwolves. And you know, Gabe, what do you think uh, uh, overall? You know, starting with what they got in the trade, what what do you think about where the Rockets are overall right now? Like, do you think they're in a good position? I think they're in a much better position from a draft capital standpoint that they've been in in the last several years. 
You know, a lot of people yeah. forget, and I said this, you know, on episode with you guys a couple months ago, that Houston hasn't had a first-round draft pick since 2015. Yeah. And this year, they could possibly, depending on if they have Tyree pick, they could possibly have two first-round picks in the 2021 draft, which would be a relatively deep draft class. I think that's a plus. Um, you know, they, they had to they had to figure out a way as to how they could map out a future in the wake of losing arguably the second or third greatest player in the history of that franchise. And I, I think while it remains to be seen whether or not they won the deal, depending on what they do with these picks, whether or not they use these picks as trade capital to get another star there, what have you. I, I think they 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 went in in a desolate position, sort sort of, but they turned, you know, lemons in they. And I give Ralph Stone a lot of credit for not budging and just doing the deal right away with Brooklyn when there was little to nothing on the table in the beginning. Yeah. It definitely turned out to be a much more interesting trade than just having a straight up Brooklyn. Of Houston trade, you know, having Cleveland and Indiana worked in there as well. So, you know, I, I you know, uh, Josh, you wrote the piece last week. Like, you know, you, you thought that pretty much all those teams improved themselves in some way. You know, go go back to that piece, man, and, and give your thoughts on on the trade. You can read that now yeah. on WeAreRegalRadio.com, by the way. Yeah, most definitely. Um, I think all the teams pretty much, based on the projection and trajectory that where each team is going through now, they made the right moves to improve their status in that in, in that direction. Obviously, the Nets, they're in a win-now mode. So the trade for James Harden and still keep Kyrie as well as keeping Joe Harris as shooting. You didn't trade Spencer Dinwiddie, but you can resign him next next offseason to a to a decent deal. You know, you 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 pretty much solidified yourself with a nice uh nice, pretty nice core moving forward for the next couple of years. And depending on what happens with whether Kevin Durant stays or not, you still got James Harden who's still relatively young. That could still be the star option long-term to pair with Kevin Durant. So it makes, so it doesn't force Kevin Durant to do a lot uh, more than what he's already doing now, which are, which is already impeccable since he's coming off that Achilles injury. He's looking great. Um, then you're talking about the Rockets. Obviously the Rockets, you know, got all those U-Haul of picks. So you, of course you got to give them credit for that. But I think, if they can keep Oladipo and if Oladipo shows positive signs would be a good option as a combination backcourt with John Wall and having someone like Boogie Cousins who's there that can still give you contri- and contribute here and there, but they all three of them have something to prove. Um, they're all coming off of major injuries over the years. Um, they're all trying to be, be healthy and for sure Boogie Cousins and Oladipo, this is contract years for them. They're trying to get an, a, another big deal next year. So they, I think having a big, a small big three like that in the Western Conference at least keep them afloat from maybe a playoff perspective where at least it, they, may, they may be in that bottom half, but with the expansion of the play-in tournament too, they may be able to get in um, if, they, if they can keep it up and, you know, stay afloat. And then, you know, Indiana, they kind of need, they kind of figured out how to really live life without Victor Oladipo. And the fact that they got the new coach there, it was obviously time that, you know, they had to move off of him. And for them, for them to get Karis LeVert, he's going to thrive in Indiana as the guy with the ball in his hands, pairing him with Sabonis. That's going to be a – and and, Bro- and Malcolm Brogdon in that backcourt as well. 
I think all that's going to eventually flow in together with that new core at Indiana. And Indiana, maybe if not this year, for sure next year when everybody's healthy, it can make a nice little, nice, a little bit of noise in the Eastern Conference where they can be that number four, potentially sleep up, sneak up into that top four team in, in the East, depending on what goes on after this season. So I think each of these teams pretty much make good impacts and good trading impacts to where the direction that each team is going in, this team, this trade specifically helped them move in that direction. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, I, I want to go back over to the West and do a little bit more uh, standing watching. Um, and uh, then we uh, want to talk a bit about COVID and how it's affecting the league. But uh, first, like I say, looking at the at the West, like I say, you had the, the Rockets and the Timberwolves down there at the bottom. You know, Kings, Pelicans. Uh, Thunder all have losing records. They're, you know, out of the – that's the bottom five of the conference. You look at that top ten, we're talking about the, the playing type situation. It's going to be particularly competitive, of course, in the West. You know, the Nuggets, Mavs, both 7-7 seven and seven at 9-10. and 10. Spurs, you know, a little bit of a, a, a reawakening with them. Uh, they, their game above 500, 8-7. Grizzlies have one of the best uh, winning streaks in the league going right now. They've won five in a row. They're seven and six. Trailblazers seem to go back and forth. You know, whenever you see them, uh, they're, they, they're eight and six. And so are the Warriors. A little bit surprising. They're number five in the West right now at eight and six. Suns are eight and five. Uh, we get to the top four. And you got three teams with uh, double-digit wins already in the West as opposed to just the one in the East. Jazz with a six-game winning streak, the best in the league right now. Oh, oh no, let me go back to the East. Just make make sure. Uh, yeah, best winning streak in the league right now is the Jazz, longest one, I should say, six games in a row. Lakers, uh, now it's 105-100 with Milwaukee right now. They're looking to bump themselves up to 12-4. and four. They're 11-4 and four at the moment. And uh, the Clippers are number one in the West right now, eleven and four, with a five-game win streak. But what, 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 what? Uh, anything that's standing out in the West for y'all right now? Like I said, I, you know, Golden State been pretty competitive. They beat the Lakers uh, last Friday, and, and you know they, they're they're not making us regret seeing them on national TV uh, still. And uh, you know, and uh, you know, of course, you got the Lakers. The Lakers are going to be there. Clippers are going to be there. But even the Clippers, you know, I, I like – like I said, I talked to Noah about them. And, you know, Noah came in at the beginning of last season. So, you know, uh, as, as their radio guy. And you know, so he's seen a lot already with that team, going through what they did in the bubble and failing like they did publicly. But they've come, they've come into this season really with a good attitude. He says that you know Ty Lue really has a good hold of that team, and they're you know they're playing well with it you know as as a, as a unit right now. They some of their pickups have been pretty you know uh, pretty sound. You know uh, Luke Kennard and you know uh, Serge Ibaka. You know they've been doing they've been doing that thing. You know we go along with along with those guys. Anything else that jump out with y'all uh, about the West right now? When uh, I look at, I get you get go ahead, Gabe. 
Yeah, when when I look at when I look at Portland, just how they can't catch a break. Like, yeah, CJ. Just when you think, yeah, that run like CJ McCollum gets hurt, Yersef Nurkic gets hurt again, and it's you. You know that's a team that I expect, unless if game, and not saying that he can't because he's done it before. Just was in, you know, assassin mode, like full range assassin. I don't know they stay afloat within the thick of the Western Conference playoff picture with those two guys that have been key cognizant in their starting unit um, down right now. Yeah. Yeah, Drew, you had something. No, I was, I was actually uh, Portland was gonna be my point too, man. Same same thing, basically, man. Just um, how can they how can they stay in the mix right now with those injuries to those two top guys? Plus, they still have uh, Zach Collins, who's out, who always seems to be injured uh, since he's been in the NBA. Um, and I wonder if they're setting themselves up for some a similar situation as they were in uh, in a bubble. You know, having to fight tooth and nail just to get into the playoffs. Um, you know, spending so much energy and then going up against one of the top teams and just not really having, you know, that great of a chance, no matter what type of performances Dame and, and CJ put on. Because, um, because again, you're going against the the beast of that of that conference. Um, I'm wondering if the Mavs can sneak up a little bit higher uh, once Luca continues to play himself into shape. Uh, Porzingis as well. He just got back, I think, what two three games ago. Um, so just seeing what they could do uh, as we're about to talk about, you know, COVID is taking a toll on a lot of teams. Um, so if, if they can, if these teams can navigate through that uh, and route to the playoffs, we'll see how they stand and shape up at the end. Uh, like you spoke about with the Warriors, I am very surprised about the Warriors, man. I was, I was thinking they might mess around and finish uh, next to last or last in their um, division. Um, it's good to see Wiseman playing some balls. Good to see Draymond back into the fold. I think he helps their team tremendously, just being the quarterback of that that offense, uh, being the veteran presence for Wiseman. Steph, of course, going off. It'll be interesting to see if they can hang on to that spot. I still think they're going to come down from that, uh, what are they, fifth? From that fifth spot, but, you know, remains to be seen. Josh, you think uh... – you think the Clippers can continue to set the pace in the West? Yeah, I mean, the Clippers, they did it last year, even with all their issues. They, they can easily keep up the pace in the West. The problem is when that postseason comes down and adversity comes, how are you going to fight back? How are you going to take your game to that next level, which is something that we know playoff P struggles in. Uh, he, he, went from, he, he goes from PG-13 to PG. I don't know what to tell you. I mean, he got to stop that. <laughs> Especially as he just signed that max contract uh, this offseason, that max contract extension. He's 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 on the line too. Um, Kawhi Leonard, him, him too. I think having Ty Lewis your head coach actually levels the playing field because Lewis more of the stricter type of coach compared to the doc compared to Doc Rivers. Um, he will get you in check, um, as we reportedly know. And he's and he has, like I said, right now he has the locker room. I think that was the thing with Doc Rivers was. That was, that was reported was the fact that he, in a way, played more of a favoritism type of role when it comes to celebrity superstars compared to the whole team as a whole. And having someone like Ty Lue, who has gone through that with LeBron and has made it known that he holds everyone accountable and, and in check, 
I think that's what really made the team buy in to what he's bringing to the Clippers right now. So I think the Clippers definitely have a chance to take it to the next level. It just remains to be seen when the playoffs come, when it's, when it's really the nitty-gritty of those time of those moments. We'll, we'll see what they're made of. But, I, but for me specifically, when you're talking about the Western Conference, the Jazz are doing a hell of a thing. you got Jordan Clarkson playing right now that could potentially be your sixth man of the year. Dude's been balling as of late. And Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert, you know, really kept is really keeping those teams together um, as they're serving with this, with this six-game winning streak. And for me, one of the sleeper teams of the offseason for me that has really took things to the next level is the Phoenix Suns. They have, they have uh, taken an extra leap with Chris Paul as their point guard playing against Devin Booker. And DeAndre Aiden has progressed as well as the main big man. Um, I think under Monty Williams, he's done a hell of a job really gathering that young group and grabbing the veteran leadership and presence of Chris Paul, of Jay Crowder, putting those guys with the Mikael Bridges and the Cameron Johnsons and, you know, with the, and already the scoring Savannah, Devin Booker, man. They t- that, that team has made tremendous leaps from last season to even where they are, like you mentioned, I think with – within a five, six range or a top five range maybe of the Western Conference. So I think we have to um, really give Chris Paul, Monty Williams for sure, and that coaching staff a lot of credit to really building that team and really taking that team to the next level of not just staying competitive but actually winning closer games down the stretch. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who's going to uh, put themselves in the best position to succeed and, you know, you, you probably figure matchups even more than in the in the East. The specific matchups that you get in the playoffs in the West are probably gonna make a, a difference. You know, I, I think that's probably when you look at what happened in the bubble. You know, the, the Nuggets probably wound up being the last team that the Clippers wanted to see in that second round, and you know, it wound up getting what they got out of that. So, you know, we'll we'll see how those teams, um, you know how everything clears out with that with that conference and everything. And it looks like uh, the Lakers are going to be 12 and 4. I don't know if that's going to bump them up. Of, yeah, I guess it'll bump them up above the Clippers uh, temporarily. So that'll be, you know, we're still looking at that L.A. team being 1 and 2 probably for the most part. But we'll see if, uh, if a Utah or a, uh, you know, or a Phoenix can maybe uh, get in there and, and – you know, make some noise as well in that top three. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see what's going on. But I want to transition over for a little bit into the COVID stuff as we we talk about. And I kind of want to talk about on on both the NBA and the college level because uh, it's, it's really weirded out the college season in a lot of ways. But with the NBA, you've got some things that are, that are happening that, you know, it's, it's seen more and more. We're, see, we're hearing about – Games being postponed, games being you know, teams having to wait longer in between, uh, to you know, in between games to play. Uh, you know, came out stuff was coming about the Wizards today about them having to wait until Sunday. It looks like for their next game, and that's going to equal out to a 13 day, uh, you know, uh, layover from their last game. So you know. I guess just in general, you know, there's been a lot of talk about what the NBA can do or or just, you know, judging their approach that trying to go on the fly and try to pick up games as it goes along, you know, in you, in you guys' opinion, you know, what do you think about 
what the NBA, how the NBA has approached this year. As, are they making the right decision by themselves and by their players? And, you know, are we going to have to do something drastic maybe by the playoffs and formulate another bubble? And, you know, what, what do you guys think about that? Man, when, I, when I look at the current state, how these games being affected and impacted by COVID, it's it's getting ugly. And it's getting to a point where I think the MBPA and the NBA are going to have to come together at the table and figure out how can they find a way to just get through not only the first half of the season, but the second half if they're not going to go into a bubble at least, you know, into the playoffs at some point, depending on how these cases shake out. Because they go, like, when I look at things right now, they the rosters. They have to. Like, you got guys and teams coming out here with no more than, like, eight and nine players on certain nights. Yeah. It's kind of resembling to, like, being over a pro environment and wondering who going to show up one day who's not going to be able to spend one day due to the COVID situation and the pandemic at large. Um, it's, it's really impacting the product as well. Man. Gabe, do you think that the, the roster should be extended maybe two or three more players on each roster? I definitely do. And I, and I definitely feel like if teams are smart, they can use this as an opportunity get veterans on cheaper contracts that help mentor and groom some of these young guys that are in the league that are looking for leadership and, and way get to the next level. Because although, you know, you have a lot of great coaches in the league and, and, and brilliant minds, you know, players are able to connect with players in ways that coaches aren't able to necessarily get hold to them. And I think that would really be, a huge asset in a time like this where, you know, people are catching this virus by the day and you don't know who's going to be on the floor with you one night to the next. Yeah. Yeah, so I think, uh, you know, th this is bad. This, this is bad. It looks real bad. But uh, from all reports, this is what Adam Silver and the NBA were, were – planning for uh, yeah. that rush or that, that holiday period, them coming back and this kind of outbreak taking place. Um, this is the reason why half the schedule was released so they can make those accommodations moving forward. So I think right now, and, and again, you know, this, this is a virus, this is a pandemic. So I don't, I don't want to try to sound insensitive because uh, these are human beings too. They're not just NBA players, man. But um, as long as this thing, doesn't continue into February the way that it's, it's been in, in January. I think that they'll be okay. The NBA will be okay. Um, and then when the playoffs start back up, I'm sure they're going to revisit the idea of, of secluding these, these teams to make sure that this product isn't uh, hampered or, or messed with too much when it really means the most to Gabe's point. Yeah. Hey, Josh, you got anything on this? Yeah, all I was all, to piggyback off of what everybody said. I agree with everybody on that. I just I think at this point, if I'm Adam Silver, I'm really I'm really trying to think about a plan B or C option. 
just in case. Not just because of the fact that, you know, we're obviously in a pandemic and everything, and we're still just trying to figure out how this vaccine is going to work. When you're talking about trying to distribute the vaccine and who's going to get it first, who's going to get it, uh, and 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 that, and who's going to get, you know, that order roster of who's going to get this vaccine. Well, well Bar- we say they should get it before doctors and stuff, you know. For- <laughs> well, see, that, that was a, not a point of contention, but that was something that Adam Silver, I thought, was really being careful with. He didn't want he didn't want the NBA and his players to jump the line from healthcare workers and uh, senior citizens and, and people that would be more susceptible, more susceptible to really devastating effects from this virus. So that's a that's not a slippery slope, but I, I know they're being very cautious about how they want to proceed with that uh, with that mm-hmm. vaccine. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, that's something that has to be obviously discussed and figured out where the NBA fits and all that. So for athletes to you know, play the roles that they play in, especially from an entertainment perspective, when a number one type of revenue generating type of field, yeah, you got to figure out how, how you're going to take care of your players so you can keep bringing that money in. But on top of that, at the same time, is a reporter, um, you only got a vaccine for one strand. There's another strand reported that's supposed to be coming our way soon. Couple we may be back in that same position again. How you gonna mm-hmm. combat that? So like th- th- that's so I- I'm all for you know doing what, if you can work if you can make your money do what you're supposed to do, but at the same time, you're talking about virus already so deep. You have and you're just now getting this vaccine situation situation taking place, and you only have a solution for one va- for one part of a virus, and this and this is the virus that mutates. So it's mutating into a whole other stronger strand that we we just now finding out about. I don't know if you can keep this up if you if this thing keeps mutating and you have no real solidification as far as how to handle the virus from spreading, unless it is like a bubble situation, which is very very expensive for owners that don't really want to spend. That that's something I think over time you just have to really monitor, and I hope Adam Silver is cognizant of that moving forward as this plan continues to you know unfold the way that it is. And I know they they ramped up their efforts, man. I think guys are. Um, only, only supposed to be leaving their, their hotel rooms when they're traveling only for the games, for shoot-arounds, practice. Um, I know they're limiting the amount of uh, outsiders that can be around the team, uh, like when they're traveling as well. You know, the whole handshake, chopping it up after the game thing. I know it sounds silly, like, what? Y'all just been playing, sweating on each other, bleeding, elbowing, scratching, clawing. Um, but I, I guess it had to be said still, though. Like, we don't want you guys – doing anything more than what you're being asked to do on the court. Uh, so we'll see what happens, man, how hopefully, knock on wood, this thing doesn't get any worse than it's already gotten for the NBA. Because um, if this bleeds into February or the better part of February, that's when it would seem that things would really have to, uh, you know, ramp up in term- even further in terms of the efforts to mitigate this situation. Yeah, it's, it's just a trip to me, like, the NBA set off all the, the clothing of major sports in North America, you know, back in March. And all that took was Gobert coughing on a couple, spitting on a couple of mics, you know. And now they're doing this whole seat of their pants thing. You know, I know it, it's circumstantial, you know, that why they're doing this. But you, are, you can look, too, at, like, some arenas letting fans in and, I looked at a game the other day. I think it was in Utah where they had 
I was like, y'all got a few too many people up in that stadium, man. I don't know what y'all doing, but you know, we got. We'll see what happens, but uh, I don't know if they're handling this the best way as as a as a league. And in you know, you you gotta you gotta allow some freedom for your members, your member uh, franchises, because they all have different areas and that where where the standards are different in their in their particular regions or metropolitan areas, but. You know, as a league, y'all got to get on some sort of, some sort of unif- unified thing, man. Because the league, the, the the season could teeter, you know, pretty soon. You you can't have one of, you know, even if even if they get towards the end, you know, competitively, how's it going to look if you got a team that may have a, a half a dozen less games? play than some of the other teams especially if you're trying to do these playing tournament stuff and all all this things like it's 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 gonna be some some stress involved in that for that for the league and how they uh determine things you know i i don't know it's, it's gonna be interesting to see and not to mention too just a brief point the olympics for 2021 just got postponed again yeah so when- they need to cancel that. It, it sound Japan is sounding like they may be out out the door actually, but yeah, I, I don't you say it, Josh. Yeah, so if they already shutting that thing down, and that was supposed to be something that athletes were supposed to play even after this season, and that's with yeah. no pushbacks. I mean, it's just something that we just be, we just got to keep in a real perspective. I hope it doesn't get to the point where you know the NBA season gets shut down and all that type of stuff. But you already got people canceling events even into next year. Or even later this year. Yeah. It's it's not out it's not, it's, it's it's not out of the you know it's not out of hand to say uh, or imagine that happening, you know, and you know, uh, you know, transitioning a little bit now over to the college game, like you're seeing whole programs shut shut their stuff down. I saw yesterday, I think uh Villanova played their first game in like twenty seven days. And you know they, uh, they're a top-ranked team, but they, you know, to have a holdover like that, you know, that's pretty crazy. You know, you have teams like DePaul, whose season might as well have been shut down. <laughs> They've only played six games, and they haven't played them very well. But you know, you you, you look at how they've been impacted by COVID, and you know, I, the the thing that made me want to talk about college this week was I saw uh, the the whole thing about. Duke, Carolina, and Kentucky all being out the top twenty-five for the first time in like any of our lifetimes. I, I got a athletic report up here that says it only mentions Carolina and Duke uh, being out of the top twenty-five for the first time since eighty-two, which is probably all of our lifetimes besides Drew, barely. And uh, <laughs> I'm eighty-three. I'm eighty-three, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm 83, so that's that's even the 83. Oh yeah, well, just, yeah, it just got you too. Yeah, but that's it's a, I, I put it in our caption like on YouTube. It's just a weird college basketball season, and it, it's funny. Like Gabe, you mentioned like the whole pro am thing earlier. It's really like that with college. Like you know, uh, uh, what was funny like really in the early part of the season, the non conference part of the season. They were really getting the games, get getting games together like 
a couple days before they would play. Like games would get canceled, and and one school would holler at another school, be like, "Are y'all free on Sat on Friday? Oh, let's 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 run one." You know, <laughs> they were really doing that back in November and December, and now you know it's a little bit more organized now that they're in the conference, but conference season. But it's still, I don't know how much is being proven right now, you know, by the by the way that they're going about things, and when you look at competitively. Uh, you know, a lot of people who follow college, the college game, they're saying it's pretty much Baylor and Gonzaga and the rest of the field. So I don't, I don't know how much y'all have paid attention to to college, and and also like a lot of a lot of people, if you focus, if you're focusing on anything, you're focusing on individuals right now, like the kid down in Oklahoma State, Cunningham, the projected number one pick, or or Jalen Suggs out in Gonzaga and you know, focusing on individuals you know, as opposed to teams right now because, you know, what what is really is this season going to mean as far as, uh, you know, team competition right now, you know. But uh, I don't know. Y'all got any thoughts on, on the whole college scene right now? So I haven't paid a ton of attention to college ball. I watched probably just because they've been on, like, CBS and um, – what is it? Was it Channel 50 that had some of the Illinois games on Saturdays or Sunday? Whenever they play, like I've caught Gonzaga in Illinois a couple of times. But my first – 32 probably, yeah. 32, yeah. So my, my first reaction uh, – oh, random. 32 has the old NBA on – Oh, NBA yeah, I hate that. I hate that. It, it threw me off. It threw me off completely. Um, because, yeah, the old NBA on NBC. Yeah. Thing. They have no right to use that. <laughs> They ain't got the masters. No, they 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 bought they bought the masters, uh, uh, but they they shouldn't be using that. They not be somewhere ready to knock their heads off, man. But no, Do my, original, Fox. My first reaction was, okay, these teams are out of the top twenty-five. I wonder how many of these teams' main guys are freshmen compared to the teams that are in the top twenty-five. Because you know. Those are blue bloods. They reload every year, so there's not a whole lot of continuity. And uh, you know, the Gonzagas usually keep some guys two, three, sometimes four years. Um, sure. But I, just didn't have, I didn't have the time to you know stand all these teams. But that that was just the first thing that came to my mind, just figuring out or wondering um, if them being out of the top twenty-five is just due to them a lack of cohesion between like the freshmen, maybe even the sophomores that they got playing for them. Well, Duke more more so than ever. Duke is relying on one and done guys, so I'm guessing that may be an issue with them. But I don't know. Yeah, like I don't know. Duke wasn't really playing. They really haven't played that well at all this year. And they're not playing. You know, yeah, and and I don't know how much of it is COVID though, or is it just be an off year? And Carolina, they've had some down years too in recent years, so you could say the same with them, but. Illinois, I remember they they went in, into Cameron and, and whooped them pretty early in, in early December. They had that ACC Big Ten challenge, mm-hmm. and you know Duke didn't look too good then. So I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I think Duke. I, I think Duke was one of the few schools, if not the men's, if it wasn't the men's program, it's for sure the women's program that actually said we're not playing this year. Like we're right, gonna stop yeah. all, all all that from taking place. And there's a few college big time programs that have actually. That so that makes sense as far as those components per se. Um, 
I think for me, two quick things. If for for big programs that you know have these freshmen returning, they have the, that are they're, they're, like you, like you mentioned, rely on freshmen to keep things afloat and bring that continuity before they go to the pros. If anything, this could actually boost the competition for college basketball moving forward after this season, because most likely they're probably going to stay, unless you're like you know mm-hmm. for sure a top lottery pick, they'll come back and stay. And if they come back and stay, you got the new freshman class coming in, and that bolsters your lineup to where now you're talking about real competitive basketball next year. That prime example is Kentucky, when they had um, the the Harrison the Harrison brothers. I think Julius Randle was on that team, um, and the, a lot of those guys that could have went pro in the uh, uh, season before they came back and they messed around and went to the championship game before they lost to UConn. Um, so. Yeah. That that could be a benefit for big time programs like that, especially the Dukes and the Carolinas that need to bring back to some relevancy within their within their French uh you know historical uh program. So I think that could be beneficial. But but transitioning to my second point is the fact of the mental health component of these athletes. Um, the fact that they're going through so much at one time with the with the pandemic, and even some of these athletes either catching COVID. Or being having close family members and friends that have caught COVID or died from this from this this horrible virus, that that takes a toll. You you talking about DePaul? Um, for one of my classes, we covered the uh, the Butler DePaul game, and Coach uh, Leto in the press conference, he talked about how he had to change his coaching style because of the insensitivities that's going on in the locker room that not many people know. He had to change part of his coaching style because of that. He had to be sympathetic. To a point where the normal Dave Letter, the, the way he would, he may normally would coach, he can't even do that this year. He had to he had to change up his his way and his tone of teaching players different components of basketball, and part of it is because of off the off, off the locker room issues and what goes on in that locker room, especially with this pandemic. And that's just and that's coming from a program where you know they're still trying to get themselves together conference wise, but you they're in the same conference as Villanova. They're in the same conference as the butlers they're in the same conference as um these top t- other top tier teams that have struggled with the pan that have struggled with the pandemic as well so yeah. i think we have to really be cognizant of the mental health aspect of what these athletes are going through and how literally each player if there's no family around that coaching staff that head coach is the dad on that campus for them that is the one that they're going to go that they're going to go to to get to, to let out their issues that they deal with. And they're probably seeing a lot of psychologists within that realm to help them get through these mental health issues that they may be dealing on and off the court. So for them to even go through that and even play games while going through all that, that's something that's, especially you're talking about freshmen that are like 18 years old dealing with this stuff. That's a pretty big, significant thing that we have to be, you have to give credit to but also be cognizant of the fact that there's a lot more than we think that's going on behind these locker rooms outside of just the virus. Sure, sure. Gabe, you got any thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts on that. I, I think it's a myriad of factors as to why a lot of these blue bloods are in the top 25, like, you know, for the first time all at once. You know, if I can recall when it was the draft, I think this was the first draft that we had last year, 20 years, where it wasn't a single player from Kentucky, Carolina, Duke, or Kansas that got selected in the lottery. Um, mm-hmm. And that, and you know, since 2000. 
And I think one of the reasons why that is is because a lot of these coaches that are Hall of Fame coaches, by the way, such as Roy Williams, John Calipari, and, and so many others, they have beaten by the transfer portal. The transfer portal has opened up a way for these college programs to really compete and take their programs from being like a bottom dweller into like the top 25 or top 15 in the country. Like you take a program like University of Houston, for instance, right now, that is among like the top 10 or 15 in the country right now. They won as a byproduct of getting most of their top guys off of the transfer portal and keeping most of their in-state guys home. And as a result, they're finding a lot of success with that. I think with, with Cal, it was at the beginning of the last decade getting the one-and-done recruits. And he did that for about several straight years. But then Duke surpassed him in that regard. Like mm -hmm. Cal used to have a top two recruiting class damn near every year. He still yeah. gets top five recruiting classes, but they're not as strong as they once used to be. And then you add that onto the fact, like I said, you got a lot of, you know, freshmen, young first players coming together and they haven't even had a chance to really like do the traditional rigors of the program, such as having a night madness, having, you know, camp with one another to, to break in and, 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 and train and learn with guys like the ball here and there and so forth. You know, that, that definitely a program, but I think a lot of these heads are going to have to adjust to how the game itself is changing and how, you have to expand and expound upon the ways in which you go after talent. Definitely, definitely. And and you look, you talk about too, like, like I said, starting all this off from who's not in the top twenty-five, who's not at the top of the of the of the rankings right now. You know, you got a lot of teams who have had layoffs, who who had years in between, not being ranked or being very competitive and teams who you we typically don't hear from who are scattered throughout these rankings right now. You look at it like a Iowa being ranked number four. You know, it's been a while since they've been ranked that high. And uh, you know, Houston, you know, they're in the top ten, you know, uh Texas Tech. Uh, well they Texas Tech's had some good teams recently, but you know Virginia, West Virginia, and Virginia Tech. I, I can't remember the last time I seen all three of them in the rankings, but Minnesota, like looking down, Minnesota, Alabama, Missouri, Clemson, uh, you know, Illinois was pretty high. They was high as number two this year. They're number 22 right now. Uh, unfortunately, I think they fallen back to earth a bit, but, you know, Connecticut is back in the top 25, UCLA, St. Louis, Rounds out the top 25. So, but like you say, gave like the freedom. And that's that's something that I think we should applaud. You know, the, the players being have having more freedom to move about, you know, to, to move about much like the coaches can and all the people who make money off of them. You know, they, they at least let the kids have the ability to play at at go to schools where they feel they could get playing time and make the most of their, their playing careers, you know, mm -hmm. through, and have that freedom through the transfer power. But like you say, it, it makes an impact. It's, it's not just these several blue 
chip teams, uh, blue blood teams, hoarding all the talent anymore and being able to say, well, you can't you can't move anywhere. We got three guys ahead of you on the roster, but you you ain't gonna be able to move nowhere. And if you if you do want to move, you we, you got to go somewhere to our uh, to our uh, you know our approval. You know it, you know players can move about more now, and, and that and you see them moving to more of those other schools like Alabama's and Texas Tech's and Houston's and Illinois's and DePaul's even DePaul. Uh, I know they picked up the kid Liberty from uh, uh, Javon Freeman. This is like from, uh, from yeah, Liberty from uh, from Valpo. Uh, Valpo, yeah. So it, you know that, Valpo, yeah, yeah. So it's like you know a lot of a lot of a lot of school, a lot more schools are eating. We should say uh, to that degree uh, when it comes to talent, and that that, and that could be a good thing. Like Josh said, that could be a good thing uh, in regards to holding over talent and being able to. Let some guys go into the upper class who you may not have had in previous years, and uh, you know Illinois. Illinois really benefited off of that this year because you had uh, both uh, their top two guys, Io and uh, and Kofi, both had uh, they declared for the draft, but they were able though because of the draft rules, they were able to come back into school even after the uh, initially declared for the draft. And they come back and they made Illinois to a, a top twenty team, arguably. Where if if they would have went to the draft and they, you know, probably wouldn't have uh, got drafted too high, they would have started their careers not in the way that they want. And Illinois would have been lesser for it too because they wouldn't have the they wouldn't have as much talent on board. They wouldn't be as deep. And you know, really, you look at you look at Io. He's really he he looks like a first round pick this year, you know, the way he's played. So uh, I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, he, he probably should def- definitely stay in the draft this year, even though, like Gabe says, this is going to be a deep draft. But uh, he's he looks more, much more like a number one uh, pick this year than he did last year. Just, just going to add a, a little bit to what you guys already said. I wonder moving forward, like how much uh, the G League um, and top recruits trying to go to HBCUs, how much that might affect these Blue Bloods moving forward, too. You know, you got Jalen Green and Isaiah Todd, who went the G League yeah. route, Mikey Williams, who will be going – supposed to be going the HBCU route, and another kid, I think, it, um, is taking that route as well. I can't think of his name off the top of my head. But you got some things kind of pulling and tugging at these perennial power powerhouse colleges, man. We'll, we'll see what happens moving forward. All right. We'll see what happens. I like I like to see that too, you know. I, I, let's say more flexibility, more options for these kids, man. Just you know, they don't to say to to force them to have to do something past the age of eighteen doesn't make much sense. You know, let them let them formulate their own destiny, and having the G League be a, le- a legitimate option. You know, unfortunately, this year there's not going to be much beyond. Uh, there may be some showcase tournaments or something they have. A lot of teams aren't even uh, fielding, uh, you know, G League teams this year. We know the Bulls are, are, are among them, uh, but you know, hopefully, when COVID passes, you know, the G League will be much more of a thing where you'll have all the teams connected, and you'll have team, you have players who can, you know, sign two two way contracts, or you know, players jumping out of high school and maybe like. Like say spending a year with 
with a G League team and then for, uh, going into the draft or whatever. You know, it, it's like I say, more options, more ways to to uh, to skin a cat, as it were, and, and get that money instead of just uh, being held up and and held up for hostage by a college program that's not going to give you anything. But yeah, uh, I was gonna go into the Bulls, but you know we've been here long enough, so I'm we will hold off to next week to talk a bit of talk a bit on the Bulls. But you know they've been they've been competing, and uh, you know they've been doing doing all right. They're gonna it'll be you know they'll see the Lakers again on Saturday, so it'll be good to size them up after that game as well. So we'll hold off on the Bulls talk. Uh, for the for next week, but uh, before we go though, uh, Josh, you know you want to you want to tease us a little bit about uh, this upcoming piece you wanted to uh, you know you came at me with today talking about the Atlanta Dream, uh, really a team that's been uh, really got itself in the middle of of this moment of politics and uh, social change going on in that in in Georgia, and uh, they were connected to that. That awful senator, uh, who uh, Loeffler, who was trying to a uh, state senator who was trying to run for U.S. Senate, and got shut down in the post by Raphael Warnock. But uh, you know, a lot a lot of that started with the players, those dream players standing up because that lady was saying she wasn't down with Black Lives Matter. She wasn't down with the movement. She was she. That's not what real Americans do uh, to her opinion and everything. And those those dream players said, "No, we're not having that." You know, you are you're a co-owner on this team, but you know we're not, we're not gonna abide by what you say. And that's really was a, a key part of uh, the the movement to keep her out of power down there in Georgia, and it worked. And now they're up for sale. Uh, and uh, the reports have been that Loeffler is not going to be involved in any reselling of the team. And, uh, you know, there have been people who have come out, celebrities and of the like, LeBron and other uh, black, uh, powerful black people who have mentioned interest in wanting to uh, get a piece of the dream. And, uh, you know, uh, I'm guessing uh, your piece is going to go into uh, all of that and, and, and more, I'm, I'm imagining, right? Yeah, it's gonna go into all of that and who I who I ideally think should be in that ownership group, especially one particular person who literally for oh, wow, it's been a, it's been a while. I want to say going on four or five years now started literally this entire movement. And that's Colin Kaepernick. Mm. Okay, well, I'm, I'm not surprised. <laughs> you you know how to work Colin Kaepernick into a column. I know that. But... <laughs> That's a hell of that'll a be a good way. Yeah, that'll be interesting. An interesting way That's to get him involved is in in a uh, in major sports again. You know, yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. You you'll be able to read that soon on WeAreRegalRadio.com. But um, yeah, that's you know the, we'll we'll talk we'll talk some more about that as it goes along, and uh, you know hopefully when we when we find out who does take control of the dream. Uh, maybe we'll talk some more about that with uh, with Chris. I got Chris and maybe some other folks. But uh, I don't know. Hey, you guys got anything else that's on your on your minds before I, I sign us off? 
No, nah, not really, not really, Kyle, man. Not really, man. Not really. Yeah. <laughs> Gary, man, glad to have you back on with us, man. Appreciate you filling <laughs> in for Chris. And um, you know, I I, I say you, you're not doing uh as much writing as you as you have last uh, in the past, but uh definitely still a, a great follow on social media on Twitter in particular. You see the tag there. You know, uh, anything you want to say to the people before you go off? No, just first and foremost, like always, man, appreciate you for having me. And I'm always on Twitter, you know, talking about NBA games, watching games each and every night. So, like you said, my, my name right there. Anybody want to follow me, you know, create dialogue on the game. I'm always down to do that. Definitely. Like I say, follow, follow Gabe. You want some – good intelligent basketball talk on Twitter. That's, you know, uh, some of y'all ain't necessarily into that, but you, you act like you into the NBA, but you be on that, on some other stuff talking about the NBA. But if you want to talk intelligently about the NBA, the Gabe is a guy to, uh, to follow on Twitter. Josh, you got anything, man? Like I said, no, we got the man. post coming up on the site. Did you you got a got a new ITS coming up? Um, ITS is gonna come next week. Um, working with getting uh Sean from um, so sources a podcast. Sean, great friend of the show, Dean Davis. Um, he's gonna come on uh, next week. So that's what we're talking to get that in going in for next week. Talking Bulls NBA, all that good stuff, and it's something that you guys definitely do not want to miss. So be on the lookout for that next week. Okay, cool. And, and check, it's not basketball, but check out uh, what he's what he did with the guys from Channel Nine, uh, you know, uh, Jared Payton and uh, Josh Friedman is up now. You can see that on our, uh, you see it, the videos on our YouTube and uh, or listen to it on uh, War on Anchor. He did a great job with that. But uh, like I said, we got you know keep uh keep rocking with us on all our platforms. Uh, we'll be back next week with another fresh episode. Uh, more on the NBA. Keep rocking, uh, and we are gonna keep it bouncing, man. Keep it, uh, keep it going. You know, how, regardless of how many games are called off, we'll, we'll have something to talk about, and uh, you know, we'll we'll keep it going. But uh, pleasure talking with you, brothers, once again. Uh, like I say, uh, gratitude, appreciation, everybody who's uh, streamed us live and who listens to us on demand, you know, uh, keep, keep on and keep it on. And uh, like I said, keep bouncing and we'll talk to y'all next week.